Welcome to this Core San Francisco podcast. I'm Tucci Quintella, and I'll be your host. SCORE is the leading nonprofit organization committed to fostering vibrant small business communities through mentoring and education. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing some of the business owners our SCORE mentors have worked with. We'll be sharing their challenges, achievements, and important lessons learned. Our goal is to empower you, our listeners, with invaluable insights and pave the way for your own success story. So let's dive in. I am Tucci Quintella. I'm a tech enthusiast and a SCORE volunteer. I'm Len Marsh, and I am a SCORE mentor and volunteer. I'm Katya Kissin, and I'm the current owner of the Aesthetic Union. Awesome. Thank you so much, Katya, for being on the podcast with us. Uh, so I do want to ask a few questions about your background. So can you talk a little bit about your education, your work experience prior to the Aesthetic Union? Sure. So I'm actually a graphic design graduate of the school in Minneapolis called MCAD, the Minneapolis College of Art and Design. I graduated in 2019, after which I did not have a plan. So I moved back in with my parents who live in San Jose, and I started looking for a tech job. I tried for three months, didn't really find anything. All right. I mean, I found things, but I didn't get any offers. And finally, my cousin, who was working for an agency at the time, introduced me. They were hiring uh, visual designers which is essentially somebody who designs the look and feel of interfaces, digital interfaces. And I got the job and I worked there for three years. Towards the end, there was a little bit of turmoil within the company. I think there was less cu- like age or there was less work coming from clients. And we ended up getting bought out by one of our clients who just needed a more, more dedication to the, in terms of engineering and design. So I ended up working for a company that I never intended to work for. And ultimately, after COVID and just being on Zoom calls, endless Zoom calls for months, I decided that I, I mean, I just realized that it wasn't right for my mental health. So I started looking for something else. And I was, I was open to anything at that point. I was looking for, I was looking at architecture firms. I was looking at potentially look, working for the city. Um, I had been following the Aesthetic Union on Instagram for five years, at least already, and I had idolized it ever since I was a student. And I saw that the former owner was hiring, and he was hiring a plate maker. And I had never in my life made or even seen a single plate at that time, but I decided to apply anyways. I knew that despite it not being a design position, there would still be an opportunity for me to do design and even go back to my roots with the graphic design education I got in college. So I went for it and I applied and I brought a portfolio with me, even though, again, was not a design job. And I think that's ultimately what got me the job. Um, I think I displayed that I knew file processing and handling and I understood paper and what it takes to print something on paper. There was a significant pay cut coming from tech to making plates here at the shop. I decided it was the right thing for me to do in terms of mental health. And I knew that I could just go back to tech too, if I needed it, or I hoped, I I didn't know for sure, but I hoped that I could go back to tech. That's such a brave decision. Yeah, it was, (laughs) it felt like I had no choice at that point. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't want to do tech again. I just, it's all consuming the way it is. Uh, For maybe the listeners that are not familiar with the aesthetic union, can you explain a little bit what it is and why did you uh, fill in love with it? Yeah, definitely. It's um, 
The Aesthetic Union is a letterpress print shop. We offer custom printing as well as our own products. The kind of custom printing that letterpress is good for is things like fancy business cards, wine and olive oil labels, wedding stationery, custom boxes, custom packaging. We can also like do bound notepads and things like that. So some of our evergreen clients are Case for Making, located in the Outer Sunset, who is an art supply shop that makes their own watercolor pigments. Um, what we do for them is we print and bind their custom watercolor pads. So the former or the current owner, Alexis, she designed with James, the former owner of the Aesthetic Union. They designed um, like a special watercolor pad that has, rather than just being a blank sheet, it's like um, some of them have circles impressed in them. And when we print them, it's with an oil-based ink. So what you end up with is a circle that's kind of pushed out, surrounded by a Preston like outline that's hydrophobic. So any watercoloring you do within the circle won't bleed outside. And there's a couple patterns that we do. Like there's a grid one and there's a circle one. We do postcards. You also do a lot of posters. We do. Yeah, we do. Um, we call them community prints. They're like inspirational posters that we make. And it's also possible to do posters here, digital files or analog. So we have a collection of wood type that we use. That's The wood type is probably close to 100 years old at this point. But we it's possible to arrange them and create different kinds of posters from those. Yeah, I was looking at your website and you offer a big range of uh, different services from printing to workshops to mm -hmm. renting your printers. Mm -hmm. um, how did that come about? Honestly, a lot of this stuff was set up before I ever even got here. I mean, I can say that I think it's all part of the people's love for letterpress and appreciation for it. Mm -hmm. And some people want to get involved to the point of just getting customer printed, but some people want to print their own stuff. And so we offer all that from customers, working with customers to supporting printmakers so that they can produce what they want to. Just for clarification, when you say letterpress, mm -hmm. how is that different than the digital? So letterpress is derived from relief printing, which is essentially a type of printing where originally blocks were carved out and whatever was left behind would get inked up and pressed into the paper. Um, currently, we don't do we, we can do hand carving, but that's not very efficient. So we take digital files and create photopolymer plates from it, which is essentially a light sensitive plastic that hardens and cures based on like the layout of the digital file. And then whatever isn't hardened just washes away. So you're left with relief, a plate that has a relief on it. Um, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, as someone who started the career in tech, uh, how did you find your love for letterpress? Um, I would actually say that it started in college and it wasn't letterpress specifically. It was printing that I fell in love with. And I noticed that my brain, I mean, since childhood, I always loved books. To me, that was like, books are just the perfect object. And especially for, as a user interface, they're like just so intuitive and make a lot of sense. So I fell in love with printing then. I went into tech because it was the responsible thing to do. And I didn't learn anything about letterpress until coming to this shop, actually. And when I stepped in and I saw the old machinery and I smelled the ink and I made my first photopolymer plate, I just, it just, it all lined up. It made sense. Amazing. 
Now I understand the the pressure to get out of college and yeah. get a high paying job yeah. and you know make sure that you can sustain a livelihood mm-hmm. and all that pressure to go to the path everyone says is yeah. the most obvious. But it's really nice that you found your passion elsewhere. Yeah, I feel very lucky for that. Uh, so how did you become the owner of the shop? Well, um, when I joined the shop, I didn't know that the owner was looking to sell. I think. Maybe a lot of people in his circle knew, but as an employee, I don't think it's something you really, or as an owner, it's not really something you want to share with your employees because it might feel a sense of anxiety. Just the employees might feel like they don't know what's coming or just uncertainty with the position of the shop. So, I mean, it makes sense that he didn't tell me. And we had a little bit of employee turnover at the beginning, and I understand that he already wanted to sell or at least get out of it for a while. And after six months of working at the shop, he came back one day. I remember he went out to coffee with a friend and then he came back and suddenly started asking me, he was like, what do you think about this? And originally he was proposing the idea of a co-op. And when I asked what, what, what that would entail, he told me that in his ideal situation that somebody would come with him to a, come to him with a business plan and a proposal for how they would take it over. And I told him that doesn't sound like, sound like a co-op that sounds like you want to sell. And he told me, yeah, I guess, I guess maybe that is what I want. And then the conversation kind of ended and I came home and I told my boyfriend, Paul, about the conversation. And Paul actually, somehow he knew from the beginning that James wanted to sell. Like I came home and I just described to him just the situation at the shop and what working here was like. And uh, Paul just had a sense. He's like, oh, you have to text him right now and tell him that you're willing to buy it. And so that's what I did. Even though I was like scared shitless about it, <laughs> like um, Paul encouraged me to do it. And worst case scenario, I just didn't buy it. I just would learn everything I needed to know about the business. And if it didn't look right, then I wouldn't do it. And who knows what would happen to the shop. But I started looking into it. And I mean, the prospect of it was just like very exciting. And there was, as having been an employee here for six months, even though it wasn't that long, I already saw a lot of things that could have been improved um, that maybe James just didn't have the energy for anymore. I mean, 10 years is a long time to run a business like this. It requires a lot of energy every day and a lot of thought and also the capacity to design and manage and sometimes jump in and print and ship like orders and custom work and add products to the retail and make new art. It's a lot for one person to keep track of. So I understand completely how someone could get burnt out on that. So I texted James and he was like, all right, let's do it. And I started looking into the numbers and I mean, I didn't know anything about what I was looking at at the time. And I realized that I had to find a mentor of sorts. And my fr- I have a friend, Justine, who actually opened her own sole proprietorship, I think. And she's been selling her own artwork. And I told her, she was one of the first people I told that I was going to buy the business. And she was like, oh, you should go to the library. They have a business center there. So I went and the day that I went, the lady who runs the business center happened to not be there. But somebody at the front desk told me to go on the SCORE website and to check out the mentors. And he recommended a couple books, which I also got. Then I ended up coming home, going on the website, I found Len on there and I picked Len specifically because he had experience buying and selling businesses. 
And then I messaged him and I think we met up the next week. Yep. Very soon after. We did. Yeah. And at that point I had already had the P&Ls pulled together and I was just trying to figure out how do I derive a valuation from the numbers I see? That's, I think, the first thing you helped me with. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, too, another thing you helped me with was understanding that I don't need to buy his entity. Like, I can open my own LLC rather than doing, um, I can't remember what the terminology is, but like a complete sale. I could do an asset sale um, wherein I like the name, the website, the Instagram, the client list, all of those are considered assets. So I could buy those and have, have actually opened my own LLC and have my LLC buy them. And the reason I would want to do that is because the business has been around for 10 years before me. I don't know the history of it financially, if there's any liabilities, any of that. So that was, the, it was kind of like um, a clean slate with buying the business. It's pretty amazing that you never ran a business before and you learned everything that you needed in order to acquire a business and to run a business yeah, well, in what seems to be like a pretty short period of time. Luckily, um, the turnover of, at the shop of the employees put me in a position of project and shop manager from an early stage. And James took the three, three months while I was working here and figuring out how to purchase the business to train me to run it. So it ended up just being like an ideal situation because not only have I had the experience of being an employee, I also had the former owner train me for months while I was being paid to to run the business. So it was it was like a golden ticket opportunity. Amazing. Sure. And Lynn, what was your perspective when uh, Katya first came to you with the situation? Well, I'm always concerned when somebody says they want to buy a business because most of the time they don't know what they need to ask. And my other question is, what is it that you wish you had, had known six months earlier when you signed to buy the business that you now know? And that was some of the learning I had from the half dozen businesses I bought. So that's why I, one of the reasons why I became a mentor is to share all the mistakes I've made. But one of the great reasons for buying a business is an opportunity like this. When uh, you're working for the company, you know the business, you have a visceral feel for it, you kind of know an awful lot about it versus somebody walking in off the street. Because the biggest problem buying a business is what is it you don't know that the owner doesn't want you to know until you bought it? Everything sounds great until you become the owner, and that's a different story. So I was impressed uh, from our very first conversation because the first thing was, this is a perfect situation. You have the opportunity to buy the business that you're currently working in. Number two is you're not competing at that time with anyone else. So it wasn't a race to see who would pay the most. And it was for the right reasons. You know, James had, had done a great job working here for 10 years. I could certainly understand him wanting to move on. I could also understand how this would fit with what your objectives were and what you wanted to do. So that was the perfect alignment. Mm -hmm. The next thing had to do was, could we structure the deal that made sense to James that he would accept it and it would be willing to, on your part? So maybe we can kind of go through that a little bit because he originally had a pretty high number that he was proposing. Mm -hmm. I mean, what I can remember is outlining to you the assets included, I mean, when I first came to you, I thought that I had to buy everything. And not only did I not want to buy everything, I 
didn't, I was nervous about the prospect of buying his LLC as well, just because of all the liability. We did structure this as a purchase of assets. Mm -hmm. In that way, um, by forming your own entity, whether mm -hmm. it's an LLC or corporation. And the reason for that is to make sure that you're not taking on a liability that you're unaware of. Yeah. So that was important. And that's quite common, uh, particularly for small businesses. It's a whole other conversation if you're buying a very large corporation, mm -hmm. but that's not what's going on here. So that simplified it. It also gave us an opportunity to be a little bit more negotiable on the price okay. because, as it turned out, there was a couple items that James wanted to keep, which is very common in a small business where the owner may have a personal attachment to something. So you kind of look at what's what works for both sides. If it's something you don't need and something he wants, beautiful, great okay. opportunity. The same thing goes for certain specified um, liabilities, which I don't think we you took on. But we could have said, if you've got a debt, we'll take that as part of in lieu of paying cash mm -hmm. for it. But as it turned out, we, we had a very simple deal. Yeah. Yeah. There was uh, an SBA loan, I believe, that his business had. But wasn't the rule with it, too, that it's non-transferable? Probably. I think that was the situation. So that was also not included. And also another reason I was really hesitant about buying the LLC because I didn't want to take on a, a debt like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So what we did is we, we took his asking price and we kind of broke it down mm -hmm. a couple different ways. Yeah. And there's a number of metrics that you can use um, based upon how well the business is doing. So if you've got ever increasing revenue and ever in proving bottom line, that's obviously a business that's worth a lot more than one that's got the opposite mm -hmm. metrics. So that's one aspect. The other aspect, particularly here in this shop, is the equipment and the inventory because there is a retail component. Mm -hmm. So that's actually a little bit easier because you can go through and you can define what are the key assets and then what are the key uh, elements of the inventory. Obviously, a concern on inventory is, is there anything in there that's got so much dust that really has zero value that the owner thinks is very valuable. Mm -hmm. That's often a big debate. But in our case, I don't think there was a lot of debate about that. No, not really. And also, I believe he had, had valued the assets and you had done the same. Mm -hmm. And I was able to talk him down on a couple elements just due to having, uh, for example, the plate making um, equipment that I had personally experienced for six months at that point. I knew that, for example, the plate maker... The heating element does not work, so you can't dry. You have to dry them by hand, and that's a significant portion of the value of the machinery. Um, also, the washout table is just not in great condition. It's just generally an old plate maker. So that's a specific example of where I knew that the asking price was not what it was actually worth. And that's another great example of somebody working in a business that mm -hmm. knows the equipment, that knows the process, yeah. knows the rest of the story. Because if you walked in off the street, yeah. you wouldn't know that. No. And that's where people tend to overpay. Yeah. So that was perfect. Yeah. So actually, the pricing issue came together fairly quickly. Yes. We were able to take his absurdly high number and bring it down to something that was a little bit more mm -hmm. rational. And the other thing is the, the number he came up with came from his idea of selling the entire LLC. So that included the money in the bank that he had. Yes. Yeah, which is, you know kind of unnecessary. Yeah. There's no need to buy cash. Yes. So, And he was happy to just take it, which is essentially what happened when he sold the business. And I think, I'm actually not sure if he's closed his LLC by now, but 
But it often facilitates a, a simpler sale um, by doing it this way. And oftentimes people realize, oh, I don't have to make it so difficult. And I think that really helped us in this particular yeah. case. But the next question is, how were you going to pay for this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I looked into loans and there's a lot of red tape when it comes to taking out a loan and a potential lien on the business. And the way we structured it is 50% down and then a payment plan that takes 15% of my gross revenue that goes to James until I pay him off that remaining balance. So for the 50% down, I luckily had some savings and I'm very grateful my parents helped me put down the other half. So I put down a quarter myself. Um, my parents helped me with the other quarter and that was set. We, My lawyer and I structured a way to pay it so that there were some specific requirements that had to be fulfilled before we signed the paperwork and put the money down and everything that would protect me. And Len actually gave me the idea for doing a uh, paying down or paying, yeah, paying down the remaining balance as a percentage of my gross because for example, this month was a pretty slow month for us. And if I had a set number that I was required to pay, there's a high chance I wouldn't have been able to pay it this month. So due to the fact that it's only a percentage, like some months, if I do really well, I can afford to pay him a little bit more. Um, that's great. And I'll be able to pay off the business faster. But other months like this month, I likely won't be able to pay him that much. But since it's part of our agreement and I'm still paying down the remaining balance, um, it works for both of us. Yeah, and I think it's also helpful from the seller's side because this gives mm-hmm. uh, James an incentive to uh, encourage the business to, to grow yeah. uh, because he directly benefits. It's also something very easy to look up because you can show him the bank statement and mm-hmm. say, I brought in this amount, you get 15% of this, this is what you get. Mm-hmm. So it, it has... Uh, and also obviously solves the problem of when there's a slow month from a cash uh, standpoint. Yeah. So I think that is a win-win all the way around. And obviously there's a cap on it of when you've totally paid off the yeah, debt. Exactly. And I assume it's since it's been several months now that this has been working yeah. and James has not had any no. concerns? No, not at all. And the other thing is, I mean, this is unrelated to, I mean, it's related to the finances side of it, but it's also... It's not about paying off the business, but James and I, part of our agreement too, was that he would still be able to stick around and teach workshops here, which for me is great because we get to activate the space. And I mean, he's great at teaching workshops and he loves it a lot too, Um, but he also gets a little bit of extra cash from that. So what has been your relationship since you are now the owner and he is now a, a former owner? I mean, he's been great, honestly. He's been very supportive. He's still promoting the business online and however he can. Um, but it's definitely been different. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure really how to describe it. It's professional and he respects the boundaries I've set too. That's that's great because uh, what you really do want to do is keep that a very friendly mm-hmm. because you can help each other out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's not an adversarial. No. It, it's more of a, a partnership in a non-partnership yeah, exactly. sort of way. Exactly. It's it's a handoff. And it sounds like your handoff has gone very well. I would say so. Not on wood. Yeah, I would say so. How long have you been running the shop on your own? It will be three months at the end of this month. Three months. Yeah. What advice do you have for other small business, potential business owners? Do it, don't do it, run, hide? I mean, it depends. 
It's don't a, think about it too hard. Just do it. In the beginning, I would say don't think about it too hard. Definitely. But it also really depends on the situation. Like, if the shop had been different, if I didn't know about the equipment, if I didn't have a good relationship with my other employees, if I didn't see, like, the ways I could improve it, or just that the business has a lot of potential still. There's just a lot of factors that played into it. Also, my skill set is perfectly, like, translates perfectly to running a business like this. Like, at my previous job, I had experience managing people. I had an intern. I had a little team of junior designers that I worked with. So I had experience, like, delegating and having goal setting and also working to reach those goals and feedback and just having tough conversations with people. So everything kind of... In my situation, everything kind of aligned. And I just, even though I needed the extra encouragement for my boyfriend to like go for it because it was scary and uncertain at the beginning. Other than that, I felt confident that as long as everything worked out and I didn't get screwed over, that things would be okay after the fact. So I would just say be confident. And how do you feel now as a business owner? Uh, I do want to remember that you mentioned uh, your previous job situation was yeah. not very good for your mental health yeah. and you were in a very good place. How do you feel now? In terms of mental health, I feel so much better. In terms of being a business owner, to be honest, it hasn't hit me still. Like just because this is such a unique place and what we're promoting is considered a dying craft. That's really what I think about more. I feel more like a, a steward to letterpress and to this like institution of printing in San Francisco. Um, I mean, I say that I'm the new owner, but I still don't feel it inside. I would say. Could you imagine a situation where somebody buys a business and then realizes later, Ooh, I think I bought a job that I can't give two weeks notice to because you can't yeah. sell a business. Yeah, I can definitely. Like you can. I can so what would you say to somebody maybe that's working in high tech that wants to escape for mm -hmm. all the right reasons, that maybe sees a business in one of the websites mm -hmm. or online or wherever, or hears about it, what advice would you say? What? How would you, because I get a lot of calls from people who say, you know, I'm, I'm working for the man and I mm -hmm. want to become the man. Mm -hmm. And I listen to the story and I think, whoa, boy, we need to back up seven steps. Mm -hmm. What would be some of the seven steps that they should back up and rethink that? Uh. I honestly can't answer that. I just knew what was right for me okay. and that I needed to get out. And ever since I started working in tech, it just did not feel right to me. I felt like I was just, it was just like a sentence that I was given and that I so had to So it was more serve. of an intuitive feel? For and, me, and, yeah. And did you ever think growing up that you would become a business owner? Did, did that ever occur to you? No, never. Okay. My mom was actually... a web designer growing up. So I saw her for ages just sitting on the computer till like one, two in the morning. And despite that, I still wanted to do what she was doing. But when I hit, when I got to school, I didn't know. I knew that I was going to go to art school. I knew that that was the path for me, but I didn't know what I was going to study. And I remember taking my first graphic design class and just having the realization hit me that like everything, everything in our modern world has been designed by someone. Like before that moment, I had never realized that. And when I realized that, then I was, that's, I think maybe it's not the moment I fell in love with graphic design, but that's the moment that I felt like this was the right path for me. And as time went on, what I realized more and more about it is that graphic design and like digital design and UI UX design, they all give you 
like an entry point into any industry and allow you to apply your skills, even though you don't need to be an expert on whatever it is, like agriculture or fintech or even I have a cured meat customer now that I'm working with. You don't have to be an expert in any of that. You just need to be an expert in visual communication. And along the way, you can learn about all these different industries. That's ultimately what... That's what was important to me, and I still get to. I get to do that here more than I did at my tech job. Did you take any business classes? No. Do you wish you had? Maybe. Probably. I mean, I'm grateful that I met you. And I had the three months before the sale to figure out. Well, actually, no. You know what? Back up. I do wish I had taken business classes. Because there are things that I'm running into now. For example, inventory or understanding sales tax or understanding what it takes to register the business or like all the deadlines to keep up with and how to manage all that. That would have been nice to have taken a class and maybe get a template or a way to structure my thinking around it. Cause now I'm kind of, there's moments where I feel like I'm scrambling to figure it out and there's a lot that I don't know about. That's when you go to a score mentors. Yeah. So yeah, I, I wish I did take a business class. So would that be some of your advice to somebody who wants to buy a business? Potentially, but I could also see it being distracting if you're in the moment of trying to buy the business to take a class. Maybe if it's something you want to do in the future and you're not maybe in the position to buy a business like in the next couple of months, maybe that would be the time to take it. Or how about after you buy the business? Or after, yeah. Then it becomes very relevant. yeah. Yeah. Although I have to say, when I was working on buying the business... It felt like its own marathon. And then <laughs> I bought the business and I could stop thinking about the purchase agreement and the valuation and all of that. And I suddenly had to think about how to actually run the business. And at least for the first month, I was working like 12 hour days every day. And I would not have time for a business course. So maybe in a year, maybe then yeah. I'll be ready for it, but not not right off the bat. If you could wave the magic wand, what would you have changed? Historically, right, through the process. Again, it's a it, kind of a lessons learned sort of thing. Yeah. Like, I wish I had not worried about, or I wish I had thought more about, or I wish I had gotten a little bit more information, or I wish I knew. Hmm. Well, the first thing that's coming to mind for me is my lawyer. Because I think you remember maybe the last like two weeks before we were supposed to sign the purchase agreement, my lawyer kind of stopped. Like she was busy. She had her own life going on and I wasn't her like dedicated client. So she kind of fell off the radar and wasn't there for me when I needed to write a purchase agreement. So I reached out to you very frantically and you sent Gary my way and he really helped me out. But it was just a, uh, it was just unnecessarily stressful uh, at the end of the line there. Because with this sale, I was actually the one working on all the contracts James and I signed. So I put together the LOI, the letter of intent. That's supposed to come from the buyer. And then the purchase agreement I put together and he just had his lawyer review it. The advantage of you doing it is that you get to set the terms and conditions. And you know, so there's actually an advantage in doing yeah. that. Plus you understand it so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's my other advice is to bring the lawyers in after the late in once mm-hmm. you have an agreement mm-hmm. rather than having them up front unless you are totally insecure about Mm -hmm. what you're doing and have them complete the process rather than initiate the process. Mm -hmm. It's cheaper. Yeah. 
Yeah, luckily my lawyer wasn't that expensive, but still it adds up. And when you're about to put down like half your life savings to buy a business, it makes a difference. Yep. Yeah. I have one last question. Sure. Um, what's next for the Static Union? Well, I've realized in the past two months, so like I've said many times, I'm a graphic designer. I've realized that I want to turn the shop into a design studio that offers work, especially to small businesses. So my plans for the future are to hire, when I'm ready, to hire a team of freelance designers that I can give work to. Because we get so many wedding clients, business card clients, um, packaging clients, and I'm just one person right now. And it would also just be like a beautiful vertical addition to the business because we'll be able to design for the method we're printing for. Because letterpress requires a specific way of thinking through the design. So that's my plan. Turn it into a design studio. Amazing. And I assume you would uh, continue working with SCORE mentors in that process? Yeah, definitely. Awesome. So is there anything that you want to advertise or let our listeners know? Um, the Aesthetic Union is a letterpress shop based in San Francisco. We work with clients, big and small, small businesses, as well as big tech companies to produce business cards, holiday cards, packaging, notes, and as well as with small clients like coffee companies, art supply companies, small food producers, wine companies, olive oil companies to produce labels. Um, we also offer workshops for companies as well as for individuals. We have two types of workshops that we offer to the community. One is just a standard community workshop where you learn how to make a print with wood type. Um, we also offer a press rental workshop where people learn how to use photopolymer plates and qualify to rent our presses. So if somebody is interested in printing a holiday card or wedding stationery, they can come in and print them right at the shop here. And where are you located in San Francisco? We're located in the Heath Ceramics Building in the industrial part of the mission. Um, our address is 555 Alabama Street. And the cross street is? 17th, Alabama and 17th Street. And what days of the week are you open? We're open Tuesday to Monday during the weekdays from 10 to 5, on the weekends from 10 to 3. And you also have a retail shop? We do. We have a retail shop. We sell art supplies and art prints. And how often do you hold classes and workshops? At least once a month. We do company and private workshops. And you can check the website under workshops to see what is currently available. The website is www.theaestheticunion.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at The Aesthetic Union. Thank you so much, Katya, for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. This this was truly a wonderful experience from my side because you're such a great student and this came together so well. I mean, it was just a lot of fun and it happened in a timely fashion. That was the other thing. There was no delays. There was no real big oh my gosh, or, uh, and you had a very cooperative seller. And mm-hmm. Obviously, you were a very cooperative buyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think everything fell into place. Uh, it was, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very to... excited for you. Me too. I'm thrilled to be here. And I love coming to work every day. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Very exciting story. Thanks. In today's episode, Katya was able to tell us how having a mentor and a support network was super valuable for her in acquiring and running a business for the first time. 
If you've been inspired by today's episode and you're ready to take your business to the next level, you can find SCORE San Francisco online at score.org slash San Francisco. On our website, you can find and request a mentor who specializes in your industry or simply sign up for one of our workshops so you can learn about a variety of business topics. Repeating, the website is score.org slash San Francisco. Thank you so much for listening.